there's much conversation today about the concept of balance in life. Nutritionists tell us in order to be healthy, we must eat a balanced diet. Athletic trainers encourage us to exercise in such a way as to achieve muscular balance in our bodies. Financial advisors seem to stress more and more the importance of balance in a portfolio. Uh, balance is a significant concept. Charles Ryrie, in his book, Balancing the Christian Life, speaks to the need of balance even when it comes to theology. And he said this, There is nothing more devastating to the practice of spiritual living than an imbalance. One of my former teachers, Ryrie writes, repeatedly reminded us, reminded us that an imbalance in theology was the same as doctrinal insanity. And why he did, while he didn't identify that particular former teacher, I think that former teacher was the founder of Dallas Seminary. Far too many, far too many in pastoral and teaching ministry have a reputation for imbalance in their lives. They so desire to serve God and the church that they end up neglecting their own families, and that's an imbalance. I know of two men, men whose names that you would know, you would immediately recognize, whose wives both divorced them when they were in their 60s. Now, while I don't know these men personally, I've, I've met one of them, but I can't say I know them personally, I was told that in both of these cases, both these cases, these are famous biblical teachers and expositors. Their wife came to them in their 60s and said, you have always seemed to have enough time for your ministry and for everyone else in it, but you never seemed to make enough time for me. Now, we might be inclined to dismiss those charges of self-centeredness on the part of the wives, but they make a valid point. A man's first ministry is to his family. Anyone who has been called into full-time ministry would be wise to keep that in mind, whether male or female. You would be wise to keep in mind that your first ministry is your family. But this isn't restricted to pastors and teachers and evangelists and seminary professors and Christian authors all of us are in ministry in some sense, and all of us need to be careful when it comes to balance in our lives. There is a reason. There's a reason why so many divorces occur in our country after success has been achieved in either business or profession. After it's been achieved. Not on the road up, but afterwards. Because far too much of the time that, ex- that, 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 that success has come at the expense of a balanced life. Now, our passage this morning sets a biblical precedent for a balanced life. We find it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'd invite you to turn there now with me. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The account reads... This way, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all the work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, or set it apart, because in it he rested from all the work, which all his work, which God had created and made. King Solomon was a man who was not exactly known for equilibrium. 
during certain periods of his life. Nevertheless, after he had traveled down life's road just a bit, he wrote these words. You'll recognize them. There is an appointed time for everything. And there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing. A time to search, and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart, and a time to sew together. A time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. And without becoming too bold, we might add, there's a time to work late on that project. And there's also a time to take your wife out for dinner to a nice restaurant. There's a time to minister to a friend going through a tough time. And there's also a time to go to your daughter's soccer game. There's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, hard work is to be commended, is to be appreciated. But we cannot consider ourselves to be on the way to spiritual maturity if we live our lives so focused on one aspect that we neglect other legitimate endeavors. One note should be made before we get into the text itself, some details about the text. When I say that we should not be consumed with one aspect, I'm speaking of just that aspects of life. I'm not speaking about being consumed with Christ, of course. Our life should be consumed with Jesus Christ. The point is that the believer who lives their life focused upon Christ will be a balanced believer. The two go hand in hand. They will be balanced believers. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we observed the sovereign majesty of God as he created the universe and everything that is in it along with man, and then in the end pronounced it blessed and said it was very good, tov me'od. Earlier he had said it was good, but when man was created, it was completed, and he said it was very good. And I remind you, on day one, God separated light from darkness. On day two, he separated the waters above from the waters below. On day three, he separated the seas and the dry land, and then he made vegetation for the land. And then on day four, he created lights for the day and for the night. On day five, he created creatures to occupy the sea and the air. And then on day six, he created creatures to occupy the land, including humans. Now, I reminded you a few weeks ago that there's a great way to remember this, because on day one, he separated the light from the darkness. On day four, he created lights, the greater lights, for the night and for the day. On day two, he separated the waters above from the waters below. On day five, he created the creatures that would occupy the air, the atmosphere, and the creatures that would occupy the sea. On day six, he separated the land from the sea. I'm I'm sorry, on day three, he separated the land from the sea. 
And then on day six, he created creatures that would occupy the land. This is something we need to keep straight in our thinking. It dawned on me, and some of you have asked, I didn't speak about it at the time, but some have asked, well, when were the dinosaurs created? On what day were they created? Some use that as an apologetic that destroys Christianity. Well, when were the dinosaurs created? I got you there. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, but biblically, the dinosaurs were created on the day that, on the fourth day, if they occupied the air, and on the, um, I'm sorry, on the fifth day, if they occupied the air, and on the sixth day, those dinosaurs that occupied the land. That's when they were created, biblically. And you can't pick and choose which part of biblical revelation you want to hold to. So, were they on the same, on the, on the earth at the same time that Adam was? Yeah, they were. No problem with that. I do believe they were. Most of the discussion, though, about dinosaurs seems to center around the debate as to the age of the earth. The, the whole idea is, are the days in Genesis literal 24-hour days, or do they represent ages, day ages? We spoke about that just a few weeks ago, but I want to summarize that once again, for I know that not everyone was, is able to appear or to, to be at every service. I think Dr. Norman Geisler does a good job in putting all this together in five brief points. I will borrow from him here. He says, first, there is no demonstrated conflict between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and scientific fact. There is no demonstrated conflict between Genesis 1 and 2 and scientific fact. The second point Dr. Geisler brings up is the real conflict is not between God's revelation in the Bible and scientific fact. There's no conflict there. It is between some Christians' interpretation of the Bible and many scientists' theories about the age of the world. Geisler goes on to say, science has not proven, science has not proven that a six successive 24-hour day view is impossible. Hadn't proven that. Fourth, he says, a literal interpretation of Genesis is consistent, however, with a universe that is billions of years old. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There are, there are good people on both sides of this argument. But five, he says this, listen carefully. He says, since the Bible does not say exactly how old the universe is. I know some would hold that it does, but it doesn't. I wish that it did. I wish I could be more dogmatic about it. The Bible doesn't say exactly how old the universe is. The age of the earth should therefore not be a test for orthodoxy, whether outside this church or inside this church. Because I know that there are many inside the church that hold to varying views about this, that are sitting there looking at me right now. But it's not a test for orthodoxy. So don't go out on that limb. In fact, many Orthodox scholars have held the universe to be millions of years of old or older, such as Augustine, B.B. Warfield, C.I. Schofield, John Wolvert, Francis Schaeffer, Gleason Archer, Hugh Ross, and most of the leaders of the movement that produced the famous Chicago Statement on Inerrancy of the Bible. I would also add to Dr. Geisler's list Walter Kaiser and Ron Allen, both of those men see it differently than I do, but that doesn't mean that they're unorthodox in any way. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. Let's not make that mistake as a group. They're thinking that if you don't hold to a 24-hour literal view, you, you have somehow just gone, gone way off the reservation and you've got to be declared liberal. Those men that I just mentioned are not liberal men at all when it comes to theology. Not in the least. So let's just uh, let's be careful here. There are good sides on both 
good men on both sides of the issue, and let's don't split the sheets over this one. We need to pick our battles in Christianity, and sometimes we fight the wrong ones, and we tear people apart when it's really not that necessary. So how old is the universe? I can't say for sure. And I wouldn't go out on that limb. Were the days 24 literal hour days, or were they day ages? My personal view is I lean toward a literal 24-hour day view. However, there are a lot of good people that I just mentioned that would hold that those days were longer periods of time. The point is both can be included within orthodoxy, and both are included within inerrancy. It's not something to split the sheets on. I try to be careful in our church. We, we hold a very sound, I hold very strongly to sound doctrine. Anybody that's known me more than a, oh, uh, half an hour or so knows, knows I am very opinionated. <laughs> and I value my own opinion very much. And I, and I, and I do. If I'm, if I'm going to hold opinion, I may as well value it or I'm not going to hold it. Same way with you. you know. So there, there's not anybody in this room that is, is, is going to hold to a stronger idea of biblical orthodoxy than me. There are those that would hold to an equal view, I know. I know. But nobody's stronger than that. What I'm trying to say is let's pick our fights. And the whole 24-hour day versus day age is not a place to pick it. There are other places where we need to do that. That's not one of them. Now, day seven, the day of balance. The day where God institutes balance on the seventh day. Again, on the seventh day, in verse 2, by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and set it apart because in it he rested from all the work, which all his work which God had created and made. The seventh day later became the sign of the Mosaic Covenant with Israel and reports the Shabbat, the Shabbat or the Sabbath of God as he blessed the culmination of creation. The word Shabbat, is, is, that's where we get the English word Sabbath, is actually closer to the English word, the Hebrew word Shabbat is closer to the English word cease than it is to the English word rest. It does include the concept of rest, but it includes more appropriately the idea of ceasing from something. Al Ross, the Hebrew scholar, writes this, that is not a word that refers to remedying exhaustion after a tiring week of work. Rather, it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. In other words, God didn't rest because he was exhausted. Omnipotence doesn't get tired. He rested in celebration because his work was completed. Then he blessed the day. He blessed the seventh day. It's the only time that that was done. He didn't specifically bless the other days. He blesses the seventh day, though, and he sets the seventh day apart. And this would become the basis for Sabbath observance in the nation Israel under the Mosaic Law. Hold your place here. We'll be right back here. But hold your place here and turn to Exodus chapter 20, where the Mosaic Law, where the Decalogue, actually, the Ten Commandments, are given Genesis chapter 20. Oh, th these words you know, you know them well. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above, heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Then verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And then the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, a Shabbat of the Lord. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Quotation of Genesis, or an allusion to Genesis chapter 2, where he blessed it and set it apart. It's a different kind of day. Now, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant in the church age. We're under, actually, we're under a higher law, the law of love or the law of Christ. But what is, is there any significant application for that for, for us uh, in, in, this, in the church age? I was in Israel uh, about a year ago this, at this time, and never forget, we were traveling to this one particular uh, town, observing some archaeological ruins, and it was the Sabbath. It was a Saturday over there. And so everything was shut down. All the vendors, all the little shops where people would go in and buy things because they couldn't sell anything. They couldn't buy anything on the Sabbath in order to keep that Sabbath. They were very strict about their religion or their religious observances of the Mosaic Covenant. But I noticed one shopkeeper had closed his shop but had set up shop outside the shop. Set up a table with a bunch of soda pops and cold drinks and a cooler with some water in it and some refreshments. And I asked Dr. Ron Allen, who was with us, I said, what's going on here? He said, well, actually, the way he views it, he's kept the Sabbath by closing his shop, and he's not breaking the Sabbath by selling us the stuff outside the shop. Remember that? It was, it was just really kind of blew me away. I said, well, that's getting a little picky with the Sabbath, don't you think? Well, I thought that was picky till we got to the hotel in Jerusalem later on that day, and it happened to still be on the Sabbath. Well, first thing I found out was we couldn't check in until it was dark, because nobody was going to work on the Sabbath. But then once we decided to use the elevators, I got on the elevator, and I, I'm not, I don't really like elevators anyway. Those of you that know me out here, I usually take the stairs, not because I'm trying to exercise, because I just don't want to get stuck on the elevator. It's just one of those freaky things that I have going through my head. The elevator stopped on every floor, right? Every single floor, because you couldn't do the work of pushing the button for the floor that you wanted. So they still let you have the elevator that would go up and down, but it stopped on every floor. There was, what, 16, 20, 20 plus floors in that hotel. So I learned a lot about, this, about, about um, legalistic Sabbath observance, and I thought of our Lord when I was riding that elevator and had to stop on every floor because they said I couldn't do the work of pushing the button. Now, it's okay for the elevator to do the work of lifting me up, but I couldn't push the button. I, I, I realized why he calls some of those people who were promoting activities like that whitewashed tombstones. So people abused the Sabbath, they abused it greatly, but it doesn't mean that the principle of the Sabbath was a bad thing. The purpose of Sabbath observance was not simply to engage in relaxation, but also to serve as a reminder of the fact that Israel was a creation of God, just like the creation of God that came in the beginning. Those who enjoy Sabbath rest must be set apart unto God 
and their activities set apart unto God. That's the principle of the Sabbath. And again, in the New Testament, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant, but I do want to remind you of this. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. Now, there's one that's not. And you may have already figured out which one it is. It's this one. The Sabbath observance is not repeated in the New Testament. But does this mean that it has no application for us at all? Well, heaven forbid, as Paul would say. The context, there are the concept of taking a prescribed time, not only to rest, but to remember God as creator and as sovereign. That's a principle that is good for all time. The time set aside may not be Saturday, like it was under the Mosaic Covenant. But a time of rest and worship should be a priority for all of us. Now, the early church set aside the first day of the week, rather than the last day of the week, for that rest and remembrance. And that tradition has come down to us today. But while it may not be a specific day of the week, We still need to follow the principle of balance. It's a good thing to work your tail off during the week. That's a good thing. The Bible says if a man won't work, he ought not to eat. Not not can't. Won't. Two different things. We We should be benevolent. We should be kind toward those who cannot. But the Bible is speaking about those who won't. This does have an application for us. And in case you're wondering... This might blow you away, but it's not a sin to work on Sunday. It's not. I've always thought it odd for Christians to look down upon those who work on Sunday, to meet at church and to talk about those people that are working on Sunday, and then to knock each other down after the service is over so we can rush to get in line at Luby's and eat at the cafeteria. Think about it for a minute. Somebody's working on Sunday. Okay, so let's, let's be careful about that. If we're going to do that, then we've got to change a lot of things. Make sure you gas up on Saturday if you're going to be of that mindset. Because somebody's going to have to work on Sunday for you to be able to get gas to come to church. So I guess it's okay for some people to work as long as it's in my best interest, right? <laughs> you need to be careful. You need, need to be careful. No, it's not a sin. It's not a sin to work on Sunday, but it is very, very unwise to fail to set aside time each week for rest, for remembrance, and for worship. It is very unwise. It leads to an unbalanced life, a life with a skewed perspective and a life that does not honor God. There is a time for work. And there is a time for rest. And there's also a time for formal worship. So the Sabbath, or the idea of a day of rest, is not simply for rest. It was also a time primarily to remember God. For the Jews to remember that the God of creation is also the God that created them as a nation. I know know some folks that are believers that use Sunday as the time to wash their car. That's the only time I can do that. It's on Sunday. Or they use it as the time to get an early tea time on the golf course. 
because you know that's it's easier for me to get a tea time then, or or any number of things to take their kids out somewhere. Because you know, Bruce, uh, I work hard all week. Sunday's the only time I can really spend with my kids. Well, why don't you spend it with them, <laughs> setting a whole lot better example than taking them to the zoo and take them to church and to give them something to remember as they grow up. That, listen, we did a lot of neat things. We had a lot of rest and relaxation on Sunday, but we also remember God on Sunday. I remember that, you see. Let's set a little better example. We have to have balance even with how we do this. You're not leading a balanced life if you set aside the Sunday simply to wash the car. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done. There's a lot of discussion theologically about this completion. And it's not my purpose today to go into the whole um, issue with regard to creationism versus traditionism. Has God's, has God's creative work completely stopped? Or were the seven days, were the six days, was that aspect completed? But in some sense, God has completed his work, and so he celebrated. And he celebrated by blessing the day and making it a special day. That's not the only day that we should have balance. But it's a reminder that we should have balance. Just like today when we celebrated the communion service, that's not the only day that, that I hope that we remember God, that we remember Jesus Christ, who he was and what he did. I hope that's not the only day, but it's a special day that's set aside for that, that's memorialized for that. In the same way, there needs to be a time in your life, in my life, that we set aside and say, listen, okay, I've worked, I have that balance. I'm going to spend time with my family. That's a balance. I'm going to spend time working on my health. That's a balance that needs to take place. When I, when I went to seminary, I led an, an imbalanced life. I'll admit that to you. A lot of people in seminary lead imbalanced lives because you're awfully busy. Fortunately, my family was, was very, very gracious to me, but it was imbalanced. Because of the situation that I was in, I, I needed to work in Houston on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all day, and then on Saturday mornings. I, I commuted to Dallas. I drove to Dallas. I've forgotten how many round trips, 180 round trips or something like that. Um, I think it's 90,000 miles is what it turned out to be. Just, just driving to and back to 45, and, and I got up at 2, 2.30 each morning. I got back on Thursday evenings about 9, 10 o'clock usually. Missed every one of the functions that would take place during the days for the kids as they were little bitty. They've forgiven me. It's, it's, I don't think any of them hold it against me, but it was very imbalanced. And then, then we started the church, too. <laughs> so Sundays was the day where, where we met, and, and I was doing pastoral ministering. But while I, while I tell you that, um, I will also tell you I recognized it. And when that, when that period of time was over, I, I resolved that it wasn't going to happen anymore. Cindy and I have a date day. hope you do, too. You know, a, a day that's set aside, better be, somebody better have died for that date day to get broken. You know, because that's, that's time that has been reserved for her. And I'm telling you something, you better hope that I don't break it. Because the more time that I set aside for my family and balance, the better pastor I'm going to be. 
The same, same way with you. Those are times that are set aside. During my, during my sons, both David and Bruce's football times, which is now sadly over, <laughs> I've had eight years with of, of this, but now it's, it's kind of over. But, but I made sure on certain afternoons that I was finished by 3 o'clock in the afternoon because I wanted to go down and watch their practices. And I, organ, I organized the way I prepared my sermons and the way that I set up my appointments and my lunches and things so that I could do that. Because it was a priority for me, because I know that people grow up, and they move off sometimes. And I wanted to enjoy every minute that I could. It was a, it was a, it was a balance thing. You know? sometimes, I, sometimes I like to, to enjoy myself. Sometimes I like to go on vacation, although John and the board has, has warned me about this. You know, when was, you know, when was the last time you did what you said you were going to do, you know? So, so we have a board that, that holds my feet to the fire, and that's what I'm going to do for you today. The same thing that they do for me is I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. Those of you that are married, have you set aside time for your bride? Have you set aside time for your husband? Are you so busy with the kids that you've forgotten what he looks like? Guys, are you so busy at work? That you can't hardly remember what your wife's middle name was if you had to put it down on the internet for a password. <laughs> Some's not right. There's enough time. You know, God gives you the time. Sometimes we don't think we have it. Sometimes we don't, but there is. Just as long as it's organized. There's time, first and foremost, for God every day. I think you should tithe your time for God first. Just like, just like you set aside your money first, I hope. You determine at the beginning of the month what you're going to be able to give, and then, then you live on the rest, not vice versa. I hope that's what you do. Well, I hope you do that with your time as well. Okay, this week, Sunday, Sunday morning, we will we'll be at church, so that means Saturday night. I, I won't be able to stay out till 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Because if I did that, I'd sleep all the way through church. See, this is, this is how we apply this principle of Sabbath. Even though we're not under the Mosaic Covenant today, we still apply it. Because that time's been set aside. In order for that time to be effective, then maybe I need to make sure I go to the cleaners by Wednesday so they can have my shirts ready by Friday so I can pick it up on Friday night or Saturday morning so I'll have something to wear to church. I may, I may need to look down at my shoes by Friday afternoon to make sure, well, if I need to go get some shoe polish, then I'll be able to do that. I'm just talking about organization of our lives. We need to do that. We also need to say, you know, this week I'm going to set aside time for my family or my grandkids or my kids, whoever it may be. And those that may not be married, for brothers and sisters and for friends. I'm going to set aside time for other people. God, other people, I'm going to set aside time to work. Now, that may take the bulk of it. Granted, uh, that work or sleep, one way or the other. But guess what? If you don't set aside time for sleep, you're not going to be worthwhile for anything else either. There has to be set. You don't brag that you don't sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> you know what I do when I can't go to sleep? Because it happens to me a lot. I'll get the. I'll, I'll threaten. Okay, if I'm, you know, hey, you watch the clock. If I'm not asleep by two thirty, I'm going to get the most boring book out I have, and I'm going to start reading it. That's my punishment. So usually I'll go to sleep right there. But there's got to be time. There's got to be time for sleep. There's got to be time to exercise. 
It doesn't honor the Lord if we have everything else right and then we just let our bodies go because this body's nothing anyway, right? No, it is. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've got to set aside time for that balance, my friends. Balance. God blessed this day. He set aside this day. Whatever day that is. So if you've got an occupation, if you've got a job that calls upon you and you've got to work on Sunday, then you better set aside a different day. Set aside time for worship. Set aside time for family. Set aside time for work. Set aside time for recreation. There is a time for everything. I love that line in Solomon. There's a time to embrace and there's a time to shun embracing. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. There is a time to keep. There's a time to keep and there's also a time to throw away. You know, there's a time for everything. And God will give you that time. Thus God set apart a day for celebration that the work of creation was completed. God set aside a day. So also we should set aside time regularly for rest and for remembrance and for worship of the Creator. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we all need balance. We all tend to become imbalanced and have an improper focus. Father, first and foremost, let us focus upon Thee, for that's where our balance will come from in life. Let us be consumed with Jesus Christ, for that's where our balance will come in life. Let us be filled up with Your Holy Spirit and led by Your Spirit, and sensitive to his leading, for that's where our balance will come in life. This is not an easy task, Father, or, or much, many more of us would be living in a more balanced way. But help us to put you first in a balanced Christian life. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.